My name is Dan. I'm a leader here at Grace Fellowship Church. Um, actually, I'm coming up on the anniversary. I've been coming here for about seven years now. And um, something I've learned and I've really appreciated over the years is I've loved watching people come for the first time and meet people and keep coming back. And um, eventually they build friendships. You know, like one week you come and you know, it's your first time and you, you meet this person and somebody introduces themselves to you and like halfway through the conversation their name is totally gone out of your head. <laughs> and they say it again and, okay, cool, I got it. And you're out to your car and you forget it again. But you come back and you forget the name again. But you keep coming and you keep coming. And one week you might connect with a person, you might remember their name, you go out to lunch or something, God does cool stuff and before you know it, you've got a new friend. That happens all the time here, and I love watching it happen. And uh, whether you've been coming here for seven years or seven minutes, uh, the, the reality is, is that you have people in your life who at one point, they were not your friends, and then they were your friends. And maybe at some point, they were your friends, and then they became your best friends. I want you to think about some of those best friends right now. Maybe just pick out one. Just a person that's very close to you. Now, think of some of the reasons that you guys are friends. Maybe you've got a bunch of common interests, or maybe you have zero common interests and it just works. I asked my best friend this, uh, this question recently. Her name is Becky. <laughs> That's right, it's Valentine's Day. You know and um, I asked Becky, Becky, what is a quality that makes me your best friend? This was her answer. She said, Dan, you don't judge me too harshly when I do weird stuff. <laughs> My wife, trust me. <laughs> I think trust is a universal thing, though, when it comes to friendship, right? I mean, I think when you think about your best friends, they're people that you trust because nobody likes getting hurt, right? Nothing hurts more than when a friend hurts you. But it will happen, and you guys know it. And maybe that's the reason why you don't have that many friends, is you just, you've just been hurt a lot. Because when it does happen, your first instinct is, fists go up, you kind of defend yourself in some way. What's your favorite defense when that happens? Maybe you do the silent treatment thing for a while. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you blow up, or maybe you just totally avoid conflict. Maybe you just pretend that it doesn't happen. Now, I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to consider God in the flesh. A guy comes to earth and he's completely without sin. Why would Jesus have friends? Who is like him? What does anybody have to offer Jesus as a, as a friend? But you know what? Jesus actually had friends. For 33 years, he's walking in all this mess, and he chose people, and he drew them near to himself, and I think that's pretty amazing. Sure, he had a few hundred followers that came and went, but there were 12 guys that he spent almost all of his time with, and they ate together, and they prayed together, and they lived together, and they served together. Jesus was a really good friend of these guys. We're continuing through one of the testimonies of his story. It's the book of John. We're in chapter 13 this week. If you have the uh, 
Church Bible. It's on page 585. And uh, the story we're going to talk about today is the last night that these friends are all together. It goes on for a few chapters, but we're right in the middle of the last night of all these guys together. And this is the story of the last time all of them are together. And uh, But you know what? It's really not much of a going away party. Because um, Jesus is actually going to be betrayed. These friends, so-called friends, you might say, are actually going to hurt him. But you know what? Jesus is going to respond in a way that you and I don't respond when, when we get hurt. He's actually going to love them, and even more than that, he's going to give his life for them, even though they don't deserve one bit of his compassion. In short, Jesus is going to show us what a real friend looks like. We'll be looking at chapter 13, like I said. We'll be zeroing in on verses 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 38. Again, that's on page 585. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to walk through it. As you're finding it, I want to give you a little context, since we're starting kind of in the middle of the story. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet in a completely shocking display of humility. And then he commands them to be humble servants like he is for them. And now the the story continues, the evening continues. I'm going to start at verse 18 and read to the end. I am not speaking of all of you, Jesus said. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, uncertain of whom He spoke, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and Jesus is and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once little children yet a little while I am with you you will seek me and just as I said to the Jews so now I also say to you where I am going you cannot come a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, 
Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. If you look at your outline, we're actually going to cover a few aspects of what real friendship looks like through the work of Jesus Christ. And your first point that we're going to go through is that a real friend isn't surprised by sin, using it to point to Jesus. Now, Jesus had just commanded his disciples to love and to serve. But he knows that there's a betrayer in the room. And Jesus, of course, isn't then surprised by this. Now, your response might be, that's not fair, because he's Jesus. I wish I knew everything about everybody's heart. Actually, I don't. (laughs) Um, But what's kind of cool is that what Jesus does is he goes to Scripture. He appeals to Scripture and he recognizes a very obvious truth. Let's look at verse 19. Jesus says, Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, Jesus has quoted the Old Testament, Psalms specifically, where an ancestor of Jesus was betrayed by a very close friend. And this friend is just very sad because he really trusted this guy. And um, all that's being said here in Jesus quoting this is that sin is human nature. You see, sin isn't a surprise if you know everybody does it, right? And everybody does it. We know from Scripture it's clear man is born evil and seeks evil. And we forget that, don't we? We kind of meet nice people and the guard just drops. Now, Jesus is not surprised by that. He doesn't forget. And so he's not knocked off course. Look at verse 19. Jesus actually says, I'm telling you that this betrayal is coming so that when it comes, you believe I am who I say I am. Instead of Jesus choosing to be offended, and I would be offended if there was somebody that I gave a lot into and and they betrayed me, but instead of choosing to be offended, Jesus is focused on the big picture of the gospel. It sounds a little weird, but here's an illustration that might help us understand it a little better. Say you have a friend who hurts you really bad, and you're actually not even sure if they're a Christian anymore. And they're about to move very far away. And you're probably not going to see them again. And you get one last conversation. You have two choices. You can either focus on how much they've hurt you, or you can talk about the gospel. What do you think is going to impact them more if they move away? If they know that Dan's really sad, and I know it's, it's hard when you're betrayed, or if you focus on what God is doing in your life, and they hear that, and seeds get planted, and they move far away, and it just sticks in their head. What do you think is going to impact them more? I think Jesus knows. Jesus' main concern is their long-term faith in their only hope, which is him. But you know what's cool? Jesus' mission, his goal is even bigger than that. Jesus says in verse 20, When you go, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives God. See, Jesus is not just equipping the disciples to trust him later. Jesus is equipping the disciples to go and equip the whole world so they can trust him too. You see how Jesus is focused on the mission going outward, not just how much personally he's been offended? 
He's a real friend. Sin is everywhere, and Jesus does not get crushed by that. He actually uses it to spread the truth even further. Now, when I was growing up, though, I figured ba- I figured people were basically good. And I, I bet a lot of you, if you grew up in a church, you probably lived like that. Um, here's a story of me waking up to a really hard reality. Here's how this... Here's how when I look at this verse, it really hits me. I used to volunteer at an assisted living home. And I worked there. I signed on for about a year. I was a volunteer. I didn't get paid. I got a little stipend. It was cool. I didn't owe anybody any money from college, so I just went for it. And uh, I signed on for about a year. And there were a few other voluntary, voluntary workers there that they had also signed on for a year. And... Um, one of them was a guy who was really nice, and I really enjoyed his company. Had him over to my house a lot. He was really friendly, really outgoing. He was from um, Kenya. And after about six months, he kind of left unexpectedly, and nobody knew why. Nobody that I knew had any idea why he had left. And we found out later that he had been doing some really messed up stuff on the side. He had actually been, during the night, finding residents and abusing them. And what was really messed up is this guy was my roommate. I would watch him. And he would say, Dan, I'm going to go call my family. And I'd be like, okay, well, you're in some other country. It's probably daytime there. So I didn't think anything of it. And this guy, night after night he goes, and I have no idea what he's doing. And I never dig. And so it blows me away when this happens. And I'll tell you what, it took me about 10 years before I could develop any friendships with any men because I didn't want to get close because I thought you're going to do that to me I mean this guy slept three feet from me and I had no idea I was surprised once and I was ineffective for years and there are people out there who are mean and they're cold and they've been surprised by sin and they've been hurt even worse than I have Jesus was not surprised Jesus knows the heart of all men, and he still chooses to have friends. So let's see how he responds when the betrayal comes right at him. We're on point number two. A real friend endures betrayal, confident in God's glory. One thing I need to mention before I go on is it's easy to look at Jesus here and to think he's kind of emotionally detached, like he's some robot. It's real easy because Jesus loves people so perfectly, doesn't he? I mean, he's always concerned with the best possible option. He's never thinking of himself. He's always seeking the will of the Father. And it's so perfect that when we look at it, it almost seems cold because we have no idea what real love looks like. But you know what's actually cool is that in verse 21, Jesus is like us. He's troubled. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled because one of you is going to betray me. See, Jesus is not just aware of sin. He's not just not surprised by it. It actually really bothers him. There's a betrayer in the room. Jesus had spent years being kind, serving these men, helping them to know more about who he is, and one of them would betray. And in verse 22, the other disciples, they're like me. They have no idea who it is. It's Judas, and they have spent three years with Judas, and they don't know what he's really about. So let's lean in, and let's consider what's actually been happening. 
Jesus has served for three years. He's been homeless. No place to lay his head, he says. He has been moving from town to town, having people either like him for the wrong reason or throw rocks at him. Like those are the two things that happen. And uh, he has served completely selflessly with the disciples. And sweet little old ladies have been donating to his ministry. And and people that are destitute and poor, they've been giving towards his ministry. And Judas, who Jesus has allowed to be treasurer of his ministry, has been stealing from them the whole time. And he has been conspiring to help Jesus' enemies trap him in exchange for 30 pieces of silver, which sounds like a lot. I looked around. It sounds like the roughest translation into today's value is about 300 bucks worth of silver. And every time you sin, you sell Jesus in exchange for the thing you're after. So when you sin today, how much are you going to sell Jesus for? This kills Peter and John. You look at verse 23, 25. He hears, they hear about Jesus being betrayed and they are troubled. They say, Lord, who is it? They're sitting closest to Jesus. They're kind of all sitting around this table and um, Peter and John, who, by the way, are Jesus' best friends, they're kind of sitting close and they're kind of all sitting around a table and Peter motions to John because John's closest. Peter's like, John, ask him. And John kind of leans in and, and says to Jesus, he says, you know, he says, who is it? And so Jesus tells John right there in verse 26, he kind of whispers back to him. He says, I'm going to tell you exactly who my betrayer is. It's the guy that I'm going to give this bread to. And then he dips the bread and he gives it to Judas. And then he says to everyone, he says more to the whole group, Judas, what you're going to go do, hurry. Now everybody hears that line. Everybody hears that part. But none of the disciples have any idea what it means. They think Jesus just sent Judas on a bread run or something. He hands him bread and he says, go do it quick. And Judas gets up and leaves immediately. It all happens very quickly. And uh, John has heard everything. We know he's heard that it's Judas. Um, but he actually, he either doesn't get it or he decides not to speak up. Which sounds kind of nuts. I'm thinking, what kind of best friend is that? Like, hey, wait, you know, you'd think he would say something, but he doesn't. Um, I don't know why he says nothing, but it doesn't matter because when you think about it, Jesus hasn't really said much either. Jesus had made no attempt to publicly clear his name. He has the opportunity and he doesn't take it because that's not really important to him. Here's what, here's, here's what is important to him. In verse 31, as Judas is left and the disciples are sitting wondering what's happened, Jesus says, now I am glorified. Let me help you understand. Let's, let's look at this. The betrayer has run free. That's one, one thing that's happened. And the other guys have no idea what's happening. And Jesus says, now I am glorified. That doesn't make any sense, does it? How is that glorifying? There's so much injustice going on. And yet, Jesus says this is glorifying to him. And not just glorifying to him, glorifying to God. And that's actually why I think Jesus says that. 
Jesus says this is glorifying to God, and here's why. Because Jesus already knows it's his job to die alone. He's read the script. He knows he's supposed to be betrayed and he's supposed to die. And so he just allows it to happen. And that goes against pretty much every American ideal you can think of, doesn't it? The light is off of Jesus completely, and it's completely on the Father. Jesus has every right to defend himself, doesn't he? But he doesn't. He is content. Would you be? But here's the thing. Jesus still has a little time left. He's not, he's not ready to be delivered over yet. He's still got a little time before Judas comes back. And so he makes the most of the opportunity and he keeps teaching his disciples. He keeps pouring hard truth into them because he loves them. And uh, that's, that's point number three. A real friend speaks truth in love. And this is hard truth. First thing Jesus says in verse 33 is, I am leaving. Friend and teacher for three years, the guy, that the glue that's kind of holding these guys together, he's leaving. He has taken them away from their menial lives, and he has put them on an amazing journey. And then he, in verse 34, he gives them the script for the rest of the journey. Verse 34, he says this, and I think this is the main verse in the entire section. He says, a new commandment I give to you, disciples, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. This is shocking. Jesus basically says, what I just did throughout my whole ministry, now it's your turn. That's what Jesus has said to the disciples. And then he says in 35, that's the mark by which people will know you're my followers. So that's how people know you're Christians. But um, they, they don't quite get it. Uh, verse 36, one of his best friends, Peter, I think he's likely overcome with sadness at, at this point because his best friend is leaving. He speaks up and he's like, Jesus, where are you going? Jesus says, I'm going somewhere alone, but you're going to come later. And he's, he's, speaking to, he's speaking about death. I think Peter might understand that, because he basically says, no, I'll go now. I'll die with you. Let's do this. And that actually seems really brave, but it's actually kind of arrogant. It's actually very arrogant, because basically his teacher has just told him the script, and he says, no, no. I want to do it now. So Jesus lovingly tells Peter a really hard truth, that Peter is really wrong. Jesus, in verse 38, says, Will you? Will you die with me? No, in fact, you'll disown me. And it's going to happen soon. Like, it's not even going to happen a week from now, when the emotions have settled. It's going to happen before the sun comes up. That's how quick you're going to betray me, Peter. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why Jesus may have said that to Peter. But one reason is Peter's death would not be good enough to save the world. See, I think Jesus did Peter a tremendous favor here by telling him a hard truth. Jesus basically says, you're not me. Your death isn't going to save mankind. 
See, Jesus knows the standard of holiness. He kind of made it. And he knows that the only way mankind ever pays off the debt is if he writes the check himself. And he writes it in his own blood. That's the kind of friend Jesus is. He is so willing to go alone that he'll stop his friends from going. Because he knows he's the only person that can make a real difference. I would imagine that's hard for the disciples to hear. But Jesus is displaying some amazing friendship. He's being so selfless. And that's why you have that last point, point number four. A real friend is someone who knows Jesus is the perfect friend. Consider that that best friend we talked about earlier, person in your life. Do you love them like Jesus loves these people? Consider verse 34. Jesus says, love each other like I have loved you. This will be the way that you know that the world knows you're my followers. In other words, Jesus in Matthew 28, right before he ascends, he says, go and make disciples. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, this commandment applies to you. Jesus is saying, you go and you do all this stuff. So consider what kind of a friend you are. And consider it in light of maybe the points that we've already covered. Are you surprised when people sin? Like if you build up sort of this false facade that everybody's happy and real friends are the ones who like never, ever do anything wrong. If you do, you probably bounce from friend to friend because that just gets proven wrong real quick. How about this? Do you use conflict as an opportunity to help people see Jesus more clearly? In other words, when conflict comes, when somebody does wrong against you, do you focus on how much they've hurt you or do you focus on the opportunity to point to Jesus? How about this? Do you even know where in the Bible to take a friend if they're down? Like if they're struggling, do you, are you like, um, there's this verse, it's on the left side, about halfway down, I'm going to find it. And, well, it's in there, I think. Or do you actually know where it is? Can you take them to God's word? How about this? How do you handle betrayal? What about like if somebody slanders you? Do you just kind of, you know, do you fight to clear your name only? Or is your bigger focus on, man, how can I really witness Jesus to this person? What about those that, what about those who oppose the gospel? Like, you know, in other words, not your friends. What about the people that are your enemies, so to speak? They need friends. Do you pray for them? Do you look for opportunities? to reach out to the people who are friendless. These people have been hurt so much, they have no idea who Jesus is. All you've got to do is show up and be Jesus to them. And it just means take the abuse, so to speak, knowing that Jesus took it and he's in heaven and he's waiting for you to come to him. My point is that when you don't love people like Jesus is loving them right here You're actually hating them. Because when you focus on you, it becomes all about your glory. It becomes all about your image. And when that happens, there's no room for Jesus. And Jesus doesn't like that very much. Do you like world peace? Like, do you want that? How about peace with your crazy roommate? Would that be a good 
like runner-up. <laughs> How about unity in your church? Would you like that? Would you like to have a great marriage? If you're single, would you like to have a marriage and then have a great marriage? How about raising a strong family? Would you like to do that? Without love like this, none of that is possible. You might fool some people into thinking you're a real friend, but you will not fool God. He sees what no one else sees. Because what man does not see is very clear to God. And I stack you up against this because I want to encourage you. Earlier I asked you this question. I said, do you love people the way Jesus is loving these people? I want to encourage you by saying this. Jesus knows the darkest parts of your heart. I bet there are things that everyone has that they've locked up and they don't share with anybody because, you know, if I did that, they would leave and they would never come back. That's probably the lie you tell yourself. But in reality, they, they actually might leave. They might if you tell them these things. But the main reason you're, you're, you're afraid to share is you think, that's all I got. I got these friends and no more. If these ones leave, I'm done. Can I remind you that Jesus actually knows your heart better than you do? He actually knows darker stuff that you don't even know is there. I mean, have you, have you memorized the Bible? Do you know the standard of holiness? Do you know how often a day you sin? Most of us have no idea. Jesus knows every bit. In fact, he knew all your sins before you were alive to commit them. But do you know the same love that Jesus has for these people? The love that drove him to the cross. That's the love that he has for you right now. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's real friendship. He didn't wait to get friendship, to give it. Jesus is the ultimate friend. And my question is, would you receive that friendship today? Judas did not. Peter, as flawed as he was, he did. He was redeemed. And here's the cool thing. If your trust is actually planted in Jesus, if you accept that friendship, you can actually live out verse 34. You can do that stuff. You know, 34, like, love one another as I've loved you, you can actually do that stuff. Jesus is inviting you to be part of that mission. You can actually be a real friend to people. Now you might say, okay, but what do I actually do? Okay, two things, and then I'm done. Number one, this is the most important thing, and it might surprise you because it's actually not very extroverted. It's actually kind of introverted, so introverts, pay attention. <laughs> Fall more in love with Jesus, and you'll become a real friend to people. That's the first thing. What I mean is pray to Jesus. Read your Bible so you know what he actually says. And so you know more about how far you've fallen short so that when you hear about that grace, it actually lifts you up higher than you could ever imagine. Fall more in love with that and you'll love people more. I guarantee it. You'll see how much Jesus has forgiven you and that grace that Jesus sends down to you that you receive, that is going to naturally go out to the people around you. It's going to go outward 
It's going to go through you. And it's going to go by the power of Jesus. So that when sin comes, as you see in that point one, when sin comes, you won't be surprised by it. It's like, yeah, I know. I read that verse in Romans about all falling short of the glory of God. I get it. I know you're messed up. So you won't be surprised by it. You'll actually see it as a gospel opportunity. Here's another thing. Point two, you'll, you'll, you can endure the harshest of betrayals. You can actually be betrayed and thrive. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be like, yay, I'm hurt all the time. It's hard. But here's the thing. You can endure it because your hope is in God's glory. The light is off of me and it's on to Jesus. And that last point, you'll be able to speak the truth in love. You can help your friends avoid Judas's fate by taking Jesus's fate for them. And here's the cool thing. They can help you do the same thing. They can help you not be surprised. They can help you endure betrayal. They can help you by speaking the truth and love in your life. So that was the first thing you can do. Fall more in love with Jesus. You'll become a real friend in those ways. Number two, this is a little bit more extroverted, so introverts don't run. Extroverts also still pay attention. Don't get cocky. (laughs) Go love people, especially if they're friendless. I'm talking to people that have nothing to offer you. Go be their friend. Here's how you can know you're on the right track if you don't know what that looks like. When you love like Jesus does, it's going to look crazy and people are going to be dumbfounded. That's how you know you're doing it right. I enjoyed hearing Tom's example of kind of being out and you know, you're lost and some guy shows up and says, hey, I take you to dinner and point you to the right. That's shocking. Like, who does that? Or, you know what? If somebody's really mean to you and you respond in kind, they're like, why are you doing that? You know, like, who does that? And then you get to say, Jesus does. It's real easy when the light's off of you. And that's the biggest problem is the light usually isn't off us. When it's on Jesus and we're concerned with his glory, then we sit, then I look at myself and I'm like, I'm a vessel. I'm an instrument. Use me. Because when you do that, they say, I've been so evil and you have been so good to me. Why? And then you say, well, let me tell you about Jesus because that's who you're seeing. Because here's the point. It's not even about them recognizing your works. It's not about you going home and saying, yeah, I did a good thing for the day, and you put a sticker on the chart. It's not about that. Because you know what? The disciples didn't even recognize Jesus right here. He was loving them better than they'd ever been loved before, and they had no idea it was happening. And that did not concern him. He went in anyway. He took the hard path. And that's the hope that you have. You get to go in anyway and show people Jesus just by reflecting him in love. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the cross. I thank you that it it softens the hardest of hearts. Lord, would you work in us? Lord, I, I'll be honest, I don't like meeting new people because they scare me. But you know what? When I think about what you endured, it was all rooted in the fact 
that you weren't concerned with being scared. You were concerned with pleasing your heavenly Father. And so you went on ahead of us, and you served us, and you loved us, and you died for us, and you're in heaven, and you're waiting for us. Lord, would you help us to run as hard as possible, that we might serve and show as many people as possible who you are. Lord, would you do that in our lives? Would you help us to start here with people we don't know? Would you help us to meet more people and get lunch with them and hear more about their heart and care for them? And then would you help us to get out of our comfort zone and serve people that we don't know or we don't even like? Lord, would you help us to love them with the same way, with the same love that you've loved us with? Amen.